And welcome to the final Yara and Walter podcast show. Uh, no, this isn't going to work. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that was Walter's attempt at introducing the show, everyone. <laughs> Please don't send us your hate mail. <laughs> Still more practice. <laughs> yeah, we, we actually have an audio intro coming up, so we thought we'd give Walter one go of doing the intro to the Without Walter and Yara practice, show. I might add. Thank and, you. And I, well, no practice. And for, I, frankly, I just wanted you to do it so my name could be first because, you know, you have to be polite and say the Yarrow and Walter podcast show. So maybe you want to have another go. All right, and uh, welcome to the final Yara and Walter podcast show for this season. <laughs> <laughs> I'm mixing it up there, see what I did? Oh, it hurts, Walter. It hurts. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You inspire confidence, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, practice will get you there. It will, it will. Kaizen, continuous improvement. Indeed. Okay, so um, hello. Thank you for joining me, Walter. Thank you, Yara. So we're here on, as Walter said, the, the final episode of our currently named Walter and Yarrow podcast show because we have a name. We Hooray. put some, yeah, we put some uh, names out there for vote and we sort of ended up combining a few of the different elements that were on offer. And we actually had uh, a wonderful uh, contribution from uh, a listener, one of our early listeners of the uh, current show, Walter and Yarrow podcast show, who's gone and... Uh, offered to do some intro music, which uh, I have to say, uh, his name is Carl. He lives in Brisbane. Uh, hi, Carl. Thank you so much for putting out that offer and uh, working so quickly. Uh, Carl works or has worked in the radio industry in Brisbane, my, my old hometown, Walter, where he lives right now. And he put together some jingles once we'd chosen a name and gave him a little slogan. So uh, actually, I'm quite quite unhappy with them. We've got a couple little changes to make and then we should have it ready to go for the next episode. So stay tuned. Next episode of this podcast, there'll be a brand new name and a jingle intro and possibly an outro as well. So uh, stay tuned for that. That will be exciting. Okay, intros out of the way. Uh, we have a few things to talk about this edition. Uh, Walter, I know there's some questions from our listeners uh, on Entrepreneur's Journey. They've left some comments. So do you want to pick out what we have to respond to? All right, so the, the question was from Manuel, and he just asks what I did to go from, to, go, to get into consulting, basically. So how did I go from having a full-time job into doing consulting for a living and only working, you know, now one day a week where, yeah, I just, I, I get paid for my time. But um, before I move on to that, I actually wanted to just give everyone an update from last week where we talked about doing market research and I said I was going to go headlong into market research for products that I can sell to Kickstarter project owners. Now, one big takeaway that uh, came out of last week was I went headlong into just talking to as many Kickstarter project owners as I could, but what came out of that is I didn't qualify the project owners I was talking to. So everyone has different issues and a lot, of, a lot of what came out of the discussions were very big needs, like just how to get more backers, how to get the message out there and some things I can build tools for, some things I can't. But the interesting thing came when I talked about pricing. So how do you find good leads, uh, good websites to focus my time and effort on? I can write tools for that. When I talked to certain project owners, they said, yeah, I'd be interested in paying maybe $30 for that. Some said, I'd be happy to pay $200 for that. And overall, 
it's going to take a month or two to develop those tools. So I'd like to get to you know the highest price point I can. Maybe make a few less sales at a higher price point, then make a few more sales, uh, and put in a whole lot more effort at a lower price point. And I got price points all over the place. I got price points at two hundred dollars. I got I got some people saying I wouldn't pay for this because I could uh, just outsource it. So. But uh, after looking at the research, um, I noticed that the customers who, or the project owners who said they wouldn't pay for it, were also the ones that were asking for, you know, the least amount of money on Kickstarter. So it's probably a factor of their budget. They're on Kickstarter because they can't afford to kickstart the project, so they also don't have the budget to really go out there and uh, fork out for the tools they need to be successful, which is kind of a catch-22 in some ways, uh, and in one way. Sorry. Were you planning on having like a multi-tiered level of tools, you know, like intro, premium, that sort of thing? Eventually I will, yeah, because it's, it's a good way to segment the market. And I mean, um, ultimately I'd like to help Kickstarter project owners really. And, uh, you know, what's the point of having tools to help project owners if project owners can't afford those tools in the mm-hmm. first place? So, plus you can graduate them through like... I think a lot of people in Kickstarter start with a campaign that's a bit smaller and then they jump to the next one. I remember with Chris Peters, for example, uh, I don't know if you call this a small campaign, but they, they raised just under 30 grand and the next time they just raised, I think, under 50 grand. So there, there could be like a, t- like a sales funnel almost in terms of the, the customer becoming more qualified for your higher price products as they develop their own business. Yeah, that, I'm, I mean, that's a good point. At this point, I wasn't really planning on... Um, picking a price point. I was just testing different things, but I thought it was interesting that I got such a crazy variety of different responses for, mm-hmm. you know, what people would pay. How many uh, interviews did you did did you do? <laughs> I think I ended up with uh, 18 different interviews and some some went through Skype, some uh, some were just with email. I ended up uh, just chatting to people on Skype mostly, like uh, text chat. Okay. Which yeah. Just because of the time zone, and uh, it was it was easier to set up. Did you but stay the, up till like four a.m. local time for us? No, no, it was uh, mainly like one a.m., one two a.m. Okay. So it was pretty late, but uh, nothing crazy like three four a.m. It's it's funny with pricing. I remember very first opening for Blog Mastermind. I did the same thing. I, I sent a survey to my entire list, and I, I got about one hundred and twenty replies to five basic questions. One of them was, how much would you pay for a coaching program that would hold your hand through creating a profitable blog? And like you, I had that sort of somewhere like, I wouldn't pay anything for it because there's plenty of free information on the internet. Some were like, oh, I might pay $20 for it. Uh, Bearing in mind, I was seeing it as a a minimum of $50 a month program. That was where I was, you know, in my head already deciding the price. And then at the top of the range, I think someone actually said 500 to 1,000 if there was one-on-one coaching, like phone calls with me. And like you said, it's, it's interesting to see w- how each person interprets the pricing question. But I found at the end of the day, it was actually not that useful for me to come up with a price because they were so divergent in terms of where they're all coming from. So and I, I think of, it... Go ahead. And, and I think on some level, if... It depends what you sell them as well. So if you really say the words that correlate to the problems they're having, then they might be more open to paying more money for the product than if you just give them a generic, these are the features of my tool 
and they can't really connect it with the problems they're having on the Kickstarter. And I think it's also uh, risky surveying people who've never bought from you before about price because there's a big difference between saying I will buy this to actually buying it. That's why I actually think the best type of survey is get someone to buy something from you small, maybe half an hour worth of your time in coaching, and then ask them what they'd pay for what might be your your big coaching program or your big product, your big tool, whatever it is, because it's a really good pre-qualifier. If they're already a buyer, then they're much more likely to buy something else from you. Therefore, they're more likely to give you, I guess, a a more accurate pricing uh, reply based on where they're currently at. Yeah, and we talked about that last week. I, I think I might actually go down that route because it takes so long to set up these Skype calls and get mm. you know, on one-on-one conversations with everyone that I may as well just see if I can pre-sell the coaching. Right, well, that's the thing we didn't actually get to talk about last week, if I remember, Walter. We were sort of, uh, I know we have to cover a lot still, but we were talking about researching the marketplace and you were talking about everything you're doing now, which is going and asking questions and trying to find the real needs in your marketplace and the language they use to describe their problems, all those sorts of things, which is fantastic intelligence, but which I don't think we talked about this part was the second part of what I think market research is, is putting something in front of a person's face and saying, buy this and then seeing how people respond then because that market research is always more powerful than the previous market research because it, it's it's well you're running a business you're finding out whether you make sales so mm-hmm. it's uh, you know the most important thing and i think it's mixing those two things and, and using that word again i'm really loving this word kaizen from the japanese which means continuous improvement and I think looking at product development as an ongoing process of Kaizen. So you're getting closer to the needs and getting closer to the best pricing points and the best offers by doing the research as well as by actually putting product in people's faces and seeing what they buy, which I think is uh, really, if anything, demonstrates the importance of needing to be lean so you can get product out the door quickly to get this research about pricing and, and what people value quickly. So develop products, roll them out, develop more products, roll them out. And that's how you can really you know, get the, the actual real answers to these questions. And that's actually part of the plan I've got, up, uh, I've got set up for when I finish this market research. I plan to put up a few, not maybe even slides, uh, not even alpha products, but just uh, something that basically a sales page with a video that shows what the product will be like. And you can mock that up in... Um, something like Kinotopia, just a bunch of PowerPoint slides that just show screenshots of what you know, you'll know you eventually be using as the product. What's it, and what's it called? Unitopia? A Kinotopia. Kinotopia. So, Keynote, the, the PowerPoint of Mac. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm um, surprised yeah. I'm hearing that from you, Mr. PC. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I actually use a, a different mock-up tool, but um, it doesn't come out very nice. And I came across Kinotopia, which lets you mock up uh, final-looking product uh, demonstrations in PowerPoint. And it, it works well for PowerPoint and Keynote. So, Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah but basically, uh, that's that would be the you know, the next step for me, once I finish this market research, figure out what products to develop and then put up a bunch of slides, a bunch of videos to sales pages and then point people at it to see if they either buy or sign up. Mm. That's when it becomes interesting. 
Exactly. That'll be an interesting podcast. Okay. Why don't we uh, roll on to the, the next question and the one about um, which we've been promising to answer for ages. How can someone transition from self-employed or maybe working for someone else to becoming a, a proper, uh, well, actually, let's, it's not really self-employed. It's first being an employee, then mm-hmm. saying, I'm going to do some kind of contract work consulting something perhaps initially to supplement your job income and mm-hmm. then try and change the equation so the dependency on job income decreases while the amount of money you make from consulting or contracting increases to the point where you can quit your job which you might say is phase one of becoming uh from employee to freelancer and then we'll say phase two would be actually moving on to proper entrepreneur where you can remove the I'm working for hours equation, which is what you're trying to do with Kickstarter right now. That's uh, our Kickspy right now. So you, that's right. you've easily done the contracting switch over the years. Like that's what you've been doing for a long time and you've gotten it down to, I think, uh, a really good ratio. If you want to talk about 80-20 rule, Walter is making an entire week's worth of income from one day worth of contracting, which is really great for freeing up your time for your own startup. So how does someone get to that point, Walter? So this is one of my, I love talking about this topic because it really opens everyone's eyes that I talk to. Um, And that's mainly programmers coming from a programming background. But the way I did it, and there's a few ways, but this, this is the way I found works best. If you're working for someone, then Doing consulting on the side is generally pretty hard to get to kick off if you're still working nine to five. So you might, if if you don't want to quit your job and just go cold turkey into consulting, you might want to try and reduce it to four days or three days a week with your current employer. And I've had a few friends that have done that successfully, and then they've sort of transitioned more into consulting work full time. So eventually, then quit. But the way I did it is I actually saved up a bit of money, so enough for a year's worth of bills. So living, living very leanly, mind you. So this is eating two-minute noodles. <laughs> and then I quit. I quit my full-time job and just went full-on into consulting. Now, to do that, we, we didn't have any money. So it was me and a business partner at that stage, and we didn't have any money coming in. So we were very motivated to get some money straight away. What I did is I looked at, I Googled all of the businesses that we could probably sell consulting work to. And every day I drove into the city with my laptop, looked up different businesses in one high rise tower and just knocked on doors, every single door that I could. And I'd do that for weeks. Uh, what, did you wanna... you, what did you offer them? Did you say, hi, give me work? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was, it was effectively that. It was a bit more tactful than that. But uh, yeah, effectively, I just I rocked up and said, look, we're studying a new consulting uh, gig. We're happy to do ridiculous discounts for you if you have any work. And yeah, I just go from person to person. But the funny thing is, that was a lot of work. It was really uncomfortable. It was effectively cold calling. Yeah. But... Uh, and, and we got given in, you know the way you did the intro to this podcast, Walter, I can't imagine you loving <laughs> getting in front of people and pitching yourself. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So uh, yeah, not surprisingly, that got zero work. Right. Absolutely nothing. So don't do that is what you're saying. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> okay. Please don't do that. If, if you're good at talking and maybe good at selling, which you might not be as a programmer, then um, yes, that's a different story. But okay. uh, 
So what did work really, really well is I applied that same technique to everyone that I knew. So everyone that I'd worked with in the past, everyone that I went to uni with, even people I went to school with, people I added to Facebook, LinkedIn, everyone that I could get to, even friends of friends. I just said, meet me for a coffee and let's you know, talk about... Uh, talk about what you're doing, talk about what I'm doing. And then I'd mention I'm doing contract work, see if they have anything going. And that worked really well. In the first three months, so I spent about a month doing the cold calling thing, two months just having coffees with people. After three months, three months, we got our first proper contract. So that's you know enough to pay the bills for that month. After six months, all of those leads kind of came through and we made all of the money that we would have made as employees back in that last month. So month six, we made uh, whatever it was. I think we were on 60 grand each a month. So we made 60 grand total. So in that last month and then the six months following that doubled and then, you know, they doubled again. But it, it does take a long time to get your first proper paying client. But afterwards, um, so after I think it was about a year or two of doing that, we each had enough saved up to pay the bills for a year following that. So people say it's, you know, it's risky to go out there and do your own thing. It is for the first few months. But afterwards, you have enough saved up to pay your bills for you know, a long time in the future, which will cover you better than having a, quote, secure job. Mm. What, uh, like, you, you, did you go out just saying, you know, we're available for anything? Because it sounds like a lot of, well, it sounds like all of your business came initially from just telling everyone you knew that you were available for something to do with programming. Like, did you position yourself as a web designer, web developer, software engineer? How are you going to the market? Well, I, sh- I should preface that, you know, we were desperate to get some money. So okay. we so said... you're we- basically prostitutes. <laughs> For programming, yes. Okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, so we were open. is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, we, we do but, anything. But how we does do that anything. work? Because that's normally bad positioning because people don't hire people who do anything. They want to hire specialists. Well, when you're desperate, you, uh, you're open to doing anything as long as you get paid. But um, <laughs> yeah, positioning came later. Once we had those clients and we could choose you know, who to work with. Because once... Once you do a lot of consulting work, you realize there are clients you want and there are certain clients who will pay that you so don't want. Um, yeah, and those are clients that will usually pay you the least and complain the most and take up all of your time and take time away from you know your better clients that don't complain and give you a lot more work. Right. Now, um, there's one thing you haven't really answered well, so I think everyone is curious about how does that turn into the situation where you can earn as much as you make in a week in one day because I'm assuming for that to work you need to have a really good hourly rate right that's right Uh, I'm glad you pointed that out because I just accepted that as truth when you (laughs) when, when you go from working for someone to consulting for yourself your rate effectively triples that's what I found for programming so you might be on $30 an hour if you work for someone, maybe 40 But as a programmer, if you're doing consulting work, it's a minimum of $100 an hour, um, usually about $120 an hour. And right now, because we've, well, because we've had a few good 
clients, I do $150, $250 an hour. So that, that would be the rate for very right. specialized work. So, yeah, you've become an expert in a certain area and, and certain companies are willing to hire you at even $250 an hour. So you work for, geez, even five hours a day, you've, you've covered your, your weekly salary by, for most people. So that's, that's, that's pretty right. good. Now, how does, like, that's probably the, the secret sauce here. The, le- the real leverage point is how do you get to the point where people will pay you 250 an hour? Like, what's, what's the key? The key is you need a few really good clients. So when we started, because we were desperate for money, we ended up doing work. We quoted $50 an hour, but we did so much extra work. We ended up getting, I think, uh, 15 between $15 and $20 an hour if you, you know, uh, work backwards. Mm-hmm. But um, we managed to get uh, one of the hospitals here in Brisbane. We did some work for them. And as soon as we got that client, we managed to get all of the other clients from that by just mentioning their name. So once you've worked for a hospital, then your quality or your perceived value tends to go up. And eventually we managed to get a contract for working with some of the banks. And once we got those, it it was a lot easier. Mm -hmm. But mind you, this was two years into consulting that we got those really good contracts. So you're basically saying it's it's a combination of uh, climbing the success ladder, which I've, I've written about before. You, you basically leverage a past success to open up doors to new success and bigger success, which, which mm-hmm. is something I did in, in blogging. Like my initial blog was written about the magic card game site I had a little bit of success with and then my proofreading business, which I had greater success with and that built my audience. And then I could start talking about bigger things I did with the blog itself and then buying a business and selling my proofreading business. And I was making more each time I did things and getting bigger results. And each one was a stepping stone, a step in a ladder to a bigger thing. And also what you're talking about is when you do open up these doors to bigger results, using that as a a marketing tool and a a credibility and, and proof tool that you are worth the kind of money you want to make, the $250 an hour, because these other big companies have already hired you, presumably at that rate or close to it. So mm-hmm. you're, you, you got the proof and it's worth hiring you. Um, but That's, you can't do that out the door. Like you're not going to get that at, at 20 years old if you've never worked for anyone else. No, that's right. You, you won't get that at the door. And um, the, where, where I'm at now with uh, working one full-time day a week, it's, uh, that takes effort again because you can't have you know, 10 different clients you need to really pick the best client or the best two, three clients you've got and really then, you know, let go of all the other clients, hang on to the best, better paying clients uh, and then funnel them into, you know, the sort of expectation that you're working at only a few mm. few hours on Monday and a few hours on Wednesday maybe. And obviously those clients are at that point so perfect for you because they they must be able to get the kind of leverage return from that one day you give them to make it worthwhile paying you two grand for that day or whatever it is so yes yes that's pretty that's a sweet spot isn't it (laughs) very and uh it that just comes through I, i don't want to say potluck but it just comes through doing it for a few years that you get to that point like you don't uh you don't start consulting assuming that you'll get to this point um, cause when you start, you just, you just, you're just after money. You're just after getting, well, 
after money, that sounds really bad, but you're just after getting a paying client. <laughs> so you're not to, noodles. Kind of, yeah, <laughs> to pay for your noodles. <laughs> when I was just starting out, I, I kept a, a casual job, a part-time job at the university, and I was getting paid $25 an hour. It was a great job because I got to sit at a computer and write to my blog. In fact, my blog was started at that job way, way back in sort of in the year 2000. Uh, well, actually not my blog was started. My other business was started then, but the blog around 2004, when I still had that job after graduating from university, I kept it because it was just such a good job and it was hard to give it away. But I do remember the the point where I decided to drop the job and I was I was making enough money from my own business. And, you know, I did a bit of, uh, I guess it's contracting. I did some website design stuff for people. I did some hosting for people. It's just what everyone did. I think if you knew about the internet, it was such early days, just by being able to set up a website and offer hosting, you were valuable. So I did a bit of that. And it sort of all combined into enough money to live off. And then what you can start doing is growing the parts of it that you enjoy and dropping off the parts that you didn't. And and that's kind of what happened with me was just a slow, gradual uh, move towards making enough money from my at the time was actually my proofreading business it became big enough to cover all my expenses and then once I started blogging I was combining the income from that those two sources so I didn't need the job and I did finally give it up for the only reason was it required me to be somewhere on someone else's schedule and I was trying to get the 100% pure time freedom aspect that I enjoy so much now so uh, yeah that's the only reason why I, I did quit that job but I think that's the case for a lot of entrepreneurs. It's a juggle. It's contracting work. It's casual jobs, part-time work. It's uh, consulting and contracting. Uh, and then once you get that combination working, it's trying to figure out how to create the business that actually doesn't require you to even do the consulting contracting part of it and uh, you know makes money without you being there or is more leveraged in the sense that you know you do some work and then sell it for the next year or something like that, depending on you know what kind of business you're building. But Walter, we've already gone over half an hour, so we're almost there anyway. Uh, so I thought for the last two or three minutes we've got here, uh, let's cover what we always cover, um, what's coming up in the weeks ahead, unless there's anything else you want to talk about regarding the old switch to, to contracting. Uh, there's there's a lot more insights. If uh, anyone has any specific questions or just wants me to go into that in a bit more detail just let me know but um and thanks to yeah. manuel for for asking that question now, yeah thank you i should manuel. probably just quickly answer manuel did ask as well me why i chose melbourne over sydney to relocate at the moment uh short answer uh manuel i actually and people really are surprised when i say this i like the weather better in melbourne it's cooler <laughs> um and it was easier to find a place to live sydney's very competitive at the moment in the the, the property market to find a place to to rent or buy so it was just easier for Melbourne, although I would like to spend some time in Sydney again, so I'm sure I'll be there sometime in the future. So yes, thank you, Manuel. And thank you to, I just want to shout out to um, Alexandra and who else we got? Um, Bashir, David Bain again, and Chris, oh, here's a tricky one, Pavalas, <laughs> uh, Budiarno, whoa, there's some weird names, and Jared for all leaving feedback on what name for our show. So they left comments on uh, my blog where we put the podcast for the last episode, and we really do appreciate both the comments and the questions because it you know makes it a bit more interactive between you and us. So uh, on that note, we would love for any questions that we've maybe surfaced in your head during this podcast 
wherever you downloaded it from, you'll find a link to go back to Entrepreneur's Journey and find the post that goes with this podcast. And you can leave a comment there and ask a question. Maybe Walter's surfaced something you're curious about regarding your own move to contracting. Uh, I think there'd definitely be some interesting questions around getting that to you know the $250 an hour mark, especially... You know, if you're not a programmer, I'm guessing it's a bit more challenging in certain niches than others. Uh, programming is a quite high paid thing. Uh, you know, creative writing, graphic design, all these other areas that people are, are making a living in if it's possible to reach that point. So anyway, ask us the questions. Love to answer them. And uh, yeah, Walter, let, let's answer that question. What's happening for you this week? This week was a bit, a uh, bit of a mixed bag. I think I'll, I need to do a bit more research, um, a bit more targeted research. I'll uh, try and get to the more, the the bigger Kickstarter project owners. See if I can connect with those. Mm-hmm. Just to and remind people, why are you doing all this? Because I am absolutely in love with crowdfunding. I think that. No, but what's is the, the? This is for Kickspy, and you want to Kickspy? ultimately find out what. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah I want to ultimately find out. Um, how I can turn this into a profitable passive income business. Okay, and what's the question you really need to answer then? What people will pay money for? Is that really what we're looking at? What are the biggest pain points? And out of those pain points, I'll pick one that I can automate with a tool. And then sell it to other Kickstarter campaign people. That's right. And build from there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're going to continue the research process and get more... I guess like you said, you're going to try and maybe find people trying to raise more money and then ask those people what they would pay and what they want in a tool. Yeah, what they want, basically what they would, uh, what their biggest pain points are. So I'm just focusing in on the sort of Kickstarter project owners that I can connect with the most, I guess. Okay, great stuff. So we'll see what the new research brings next week in our, our brand new show with our brand new jingle. Uh, for me, I, I have a bit of a varied day today. I, I'm just doing a quick catch-up today of all the little loose ends where, for example, uh, I've got a person doing my, my magazine for the iTunes newsstand where we actually, uh, for people who've been following me for a while, you're probably wondering where the, where the heck it is. It's been a while. I haven't got my, my blogology mag out. The main thing that's slowing us down is I've decided to create the product versions of my magazine and just to clarify what that means I will be selling my training materials as uh, products you can buy within the magazine but for that to work they well the way I'm choosing to do it anyway they actually will be magazines themselves so you'll buy these special edition magazines within the iTunes newsstand direct to your phone or direct to your iPad and that will be the product in there in the magazine uh, it's not going to be like something where you go to the browser and you buy it from my website. It'll be all inside. And why I do that is because it can all be purchased then through the Apple payment system and be seamless. So I'm making the decision to create the products first, at least the, the one or two products I have available now. So when I release my first edition, I can monetize straight away with my own product, which I really want to do. I, I'm, I don't like being dependent on advertising too much. So and I'm much, I get more personal satisfaction when people buy my training resources as well. So that's what we're doing. We're getting all the products in there. Then we'll release the first edition of the magazine. So I'm working with my Mac designer on that job. I also have to send the newsletter out this week. I've got a, a video that most people don't know about. So I'm just going to send that out uh, about an interesting topic, actually, um, product being the new marketing. And we could talk about that on the show at some point. But uh, look out for my newsletter. If you're not on it, uh, join. And you'll be getting that sometime in the next sort of 24 hours. And 
that's pretty much it for the loose ends. A few other little things I won't bother talking about, but I'm getting on to the final list of things on my sales page for the how to buy and sell blogs and website guide, which I will be, I suspect, in the next 10 days opening up for the, the, the first uh, launch. So um, can't wait to finally say that that is out there and then I'll have uh, two of my three guides done and uh, available to people and I hope for years to come they'll be uh, bestsellers. So fingers crossed. So if you're interested in buying and selling blogs and websites and want to hear my background story about what I've done in that space, look out for that guide coming out in the next few weeks. That is it. Uh, okay, Walter, do you want to try and uh, end the show? <laughs> Since you all right, everyone. Thanks a lot for listening to and getting to this point of the show. Uh, we'll be back next week with a new jingle and a new name. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Walter. That was brilliant. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. All right, bye.